You are listening to Grit and Grace, where I'm sharing my entrepreneurial journey with you and bringing stories to you of the most amazing women that are crushing it in business and in life. My name is Tomberly, and I'm a social impact entrepreneur, where I help businesses grow their community impact and their bottom line through their partnerships with nonprofit organizations. I'm also the founder of Tomberly's Tribe, a brand new group of female experts that, from all different fields, are helping women grow to their highest level of potential. Join us on this journey by downloading the Himalaya app, which is free, and follow us so we can keep you up to date on all of the new shows that are coming out. Welcome to my show. Are you struggling to keep your teams connected and support increased productivity? I've got the answer for you, and her name is Julie Holunga. Julie is an Emergenetics Master Trainer and will help walk you and your team through the assessments and how they play a role in your overall success. Go to julieholunga.com for all the details. Thank you, my friends, for joining me for another episode of Grit and Grace. And today's interview has been, it's been brewing for a while. This connection I have to a woman whose work has transformed my way of thinking around forgiveness, unity, and what true interconnectedness really means. My guest today is a transformational leadership and corporate consultant who shares her wisdom of the elders and their messages of unbreakable connection in her best-selling book, The Four Sacred Gifts, Indigenous Wisdom for Modern Times. Welcome, Dr. Anita Sanchez. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited. I Well, first of all, I have read your book um, more than once. I have earmarked pages now. I'm, I may have even had to pull out my highlighters when I was reading your book. <laughs> ah, that's that's wonderful. I'm smiling and, and the elders will be very happy that you're taking the wisdoms to such heart. Thank you. Yes, thank you for bringing this forward. And I know that you do so much more than than you know just authoring this book. And I know you've co-authored and authored other publications and written pieces, and we'll talk about that. But I also... I also want to touch on or make sure we touch on today the work you do around diversity and inclusion, because that's actually how we were first introduced is I, you know, I work with a lot of female entrepreneurs and this show is definitely features a lot of female entrepreneurs and a lot of spiritually connected women. And so, you know, when you think about spiritually connected and being connected to the earth and being in business and entrepreneurs, it sounds like polar opposites, but really we merge all of these into one, right? Yeah, it's what we call the conscious entrepreneur. And that's what I feel like life itself is calling us at every level, whether it's spiritual, at the physical, mental, emotional. Yeah, yes, definitely. Yeah, I, I will tell you that I wasn't so good at that all the time. I felt like um, if I brought my consciousness forward or my connection to the earth forward, that people would take me less serious in business. And in fact, it doesn't matter because we're all connected. And that's that's the piece that's so important, this interconnectedness, not just to our families and the humans that we interact with, but the animals and our planet and all of the the beautiful things that grow right alongside us. I agree. That's all of our relations are, are quite wonderful. And um, I don't think you're being hard on yourself because the reality is, you know, 40 plus years I've been doing this work in business and I didn't speak about all of this in that way. It took a while. Mm-hmm. I had to check out, was it safe? So, and I had to determine what was coming from me that was the barrier and what was really outside that someone wasn't ready yet. They had to have a little more time to be able to hold on to what would may sound woo-woo. But now today, uh, things we called woo-woo back 20 years ago are no longer woo-woo at all. (laughs) 
It's so true. In fact, my 19-year-old daughter is, she's definitely very conscious of herself and her surroundings and how she makes an impact just being a human in today's you know, time, space, and reality. And she says it's interesting that people around her and in her communities of, you know, 19-year-olds, that they're aware of these things. Like, they don't think of anything as outside of the box or strange if you talk about having a connection to the earth or a connection to, you know, spirits. She, she, they don't see that as strange. And I'm like, wow, that is... Wow. I mean, it was never really strange for me because I was born of hippies. So there, was- <laughs> there you go. You had a head start. Yeah. So, I had a little bit yeah. of a head start. And I was born indigenous. So th- that gave me a head start too. But the reality is right now, like what your daughter is experiencing, the new science that's coming in, the new paradigm science, now it's looking for real patterns beyond the five senses. So what she's talking about, and it, th- these young people are going to be so far ahead because science is catching up with what all mm-hmm. of our elders, our, our ancestors knew, but now they're, they're expanding what it means to be a scientist and to do good science. Yeah, so you have been you have been immersed in this through your, um, through your upbringing, yes. right? You have been immersed in an interconnected, I'm not trying to think of the word, an interconnected lifestyle, mm-hmm. right? From the time you were born, from your roots, and um, bringing the data to it, do you find that there is... Um, I want to just say like leaps and bounds happening in terms of how fast people are starting to understand it. Because once you start to put a little science to it, it seems less of a a faith or less of something you can't see. Like, do you think that that's making things proceed faster? I think so. I think it's making a difference. So we don't have this illusion of separateness, whether it's with ourselves or other entities that we're really seeing that what we call the hoop of life, the uh, scientists call that even at the micro level uh, in, into the larger physics and everything else that we are indeed interconnected. So I think it's really is changing and opening up the possibility. And at the same time, so I'm filled with hope. And at the same time, I'm mm-hmm. also realistic in the time we're on, we are in right now because of the hardship and suffering that's happening with this, um, this virus, monies that were directed for reversing global warming Again, important to our life too. It's not like that's separate, are now being rediverted in some places. And yet at the very same time, we're learning so much in just the few months of human beings not being as busy and making such a footprint, how fast things are regenerating in nature. So I think mm-hmm. we still have things to do, but I think these younger people came in with another awareness and then learning from the very get go in their lives about pollution, about, you know, global warming and all these kinds of things have added to their ability to see that, you know, they need clean water, they need clean air, they, all these things that we act as if in some generations, as if it's separate from us, it's, these are just resources to use and overuse rather than something in being relationship with each other. Yes, and let's let's count that as a blessing for the millennial generation yes. because we have lots of things that um, people say are not a positive in the millennial generation, but I say that that is a big positive, and they bring their passion to it. Like they don't just understand it better and have like more steps ahead, but they bring a different passion to caring about the planet because you know what they're going to be here much longer than we are, and although we knew that when we were young, they have a structure now to be involved. And so let let me take let me take us into that place because I want to talk about the work that you have done and continue to do on a global scale because I think that that's 
really important to look at. We don't just live in this little slice of, well, you and I are in Colorado, and it is a slice of paradise in Colorado. Um, there are lots of slices of paradise in the United States and in the world and in every country. And you've done some work at that level. Yes, I really, I knew since I was a little girl, I, my, my dreams as age three that I remember, and I still have them, is that I knew that when I grew up that I was going to be one of these stick people in this circle of the earth, and I was connecting our hearts. Our hearts were, our hands were on each other's hearts. And so I knew I didn't have the language then for what I was going to do, but that's indeed what I've do, been doing. And early as my early 20s, I actually started consulting internationally, helping um, in large global women's conferences to do visioning, to develop policies on peace and development, uh, including with women whose countries were at war with each other. And, um, and then also then in my work, as I moved into doing more private sector work uh, back in the 80s up through, through now, uh, these are global organizations. So helping them bring together people from different cultures, learn to care about each other, how to dance together, uh, literally at, at work and now virtually, uh, to be able to create the kind and do the kind of contributions that we need. And what does that work look like? Because I know that you're not just talking about um, any race gaps. You're also talking gender gaps. You're talking age gaps. You're talking all of the gaps that exist that keep us separate. And so how do you do that in a workplace environment, like in a company? Yes. Well, some people talk about it in terms of diversity, inclusion, and engagement. Uh, and that clearly for decades has been my work, but always been part of that, that now in the last couple of decades has been more and more is included in that and all of our relationships. So how to make our relations to be in right relationship with ourselves, with other people, the earth itself. And mm. so, of course, with the consciousness growing in many organizations, businesses around sustainability, I'm now actually talking about regeneration, that sustainable is not good enough because that's acting like we're going back to our settling with what is. We can't do that. We need, mm. nature doesn't operate that way. It is constantly life-seeking life, and that's what we're meant to do, too. Uh, so I incorporate in that, and I gather with indigenous elders from different parts of the world. We share each other's uh, ceremonies and the things we're doing, and these folks are um, not only amazing leaders in their communities, but people, sometimes I like to get rid of stereotypes. Who's, some of them have had no formal education, and some of them are Harvard graduates, so it's a yeah. whole variety, and one thing I'm excited about right now, Taverly, I think is very exciting, is a uh, it's what's called the tipping point system. It's a group of mm. scientists, artists, uh, thought leaders, business leaders who for six years have been working way before COVID, knowing that a big shift was coming. And how do we measure that? How do we invite the huge participation? How do we do that tipping point to where the consciousness is rising? And um, we've been working on that. And so shortly a world anthem will be coming out. Uh, inviting musicians. Wow. And then we're also some of the science and some of those things that are working with the UN, all of that's unfolding as well as with um, indigenous leaders who are very essential to the shift that are happening right now. So it's a small population of people, probably 1% of the population around the world is our indigenous. However, the knowledge, the original wisdom they have, the, the most renowned scientists will say, these people are essential to help us show us 
how to preserve our biodiversity. Because we know mm. that sa- old saying that I think it's coming more understood by leaders of businesses and un- leaders of other organizations is um, you, you can't make a profit. You can't thrive on a dead planet. The reality is human beings can't thrive on a dead planet. Nothing will thrive. So that interconnectedness, I think, is, is, being, more un- is being understood and appreciated in a way outside of Indian country. Um, and the young people have a big, big part of that with their Fridays for the Future marches and other things where I also stay connected with young people and support them and speaking out and sharing their voices and their love of the earth and of all of us. Mm, that's amazing. Um, let me ask you about the tipping, this, this tipping point system that you're working on. Does this include, and, and I, I guess I should ask the question about, let's define indigenous yes. like now, like up front, because um, the, one of the classes and courses that I'm in right now is I'm receiving the, um, the tenets of Celtic spirituality, because I have a part of my ancestors are from Ireland and Wales. And so I'm, I'm traveling there soon, and I'll be spending lots of time there with elders of Ireland. And I wonder like using that term, like let's, let's just, yes, let's I'd like it. to hear your knowledge okay. because I, I'm not necessarily sure that I completely understand what it means. Yes. Well, anthropologically, we're all indigenous. All human beings are indigenous because basically what that means is that we're made up of elements of the earth, of, of the, you know, all parts of the planet, of the cosmos, of the stars. We are literally made up that. And any scientist in the research will show, yes, that's what we're made up of, water, you know, Mm -hmm. and different kinds of minerals and all that. So all of us originally, our ancestors started as indigenous. However, today, when we talk about indigenous people, we are talking about those people who kept the connection to the earth. There's lots of variety beyond that. But one thing that's true about indigenous people, indigenous tribes, indigenous nations, is their connection to the earth and the original knowledge that we are part of, not living on the Mm -hmm. earth, not living with the earth, we are part of it. And when we talk about that, that means that our relationships, our relations are everyone, not just the two-legged human beings, but all beings. And so when we go to make decisions about anything we're going to do, we think about what is the impact not only on now, but what might be the likely impact seven generations out. And so when I mm. talk to business leaders about that, they kind of their eyes get really big. Seven generations, I'm trying to get through this yeah. quarter. I said, I understand right. that. But just think how much ahead you'd be if you even thought it through that much further. Just take that mm-hmm. little bit longer of a pause. And they begin to do that. And it shifts things. I think that's part of what we're talking about is conscious business. Really looking at everything we do, we can either be good medicine or bad medicine. Good medicine, and I'm going to talk about pharmaceutical right now, but good medicine is anyone or anything that puts into alignment the spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical. Bad medicine is anything that takes that out of alignment. And so the reality mm-hmm. is, I think, when you're a leader of your home, a leader of your life, a leader of a business, a leader of a community organization, you can choose in every moment to be good medicine or bad medicine. And I think most people choose, I want to be good medicine. I, I want it to thrive mm-hmm. for here and now and out into the future. So that means it takes a mindset change, that it's not just about mm-hmm. me or I or at this very moment. It's bigger than that. We're all bigger than that. Mm, I love that explanation so much because it takes um, it takes a particular type of of person out of the indigenous word, right? An indigenous word can be used for 
to describe anybody that's connected to a land and working with the land wisdom in wherever they're from. And I, I really appreciate you clarifying that because I think that some people just don't understand what that word means. Well, and If we could stay there a little bit longer, Taverly, because yes. I think you hit on something that's really important. So someone who stayed connected to the land from the Celtic tradition they are indigenous. They're indigenous mm-hmm. people. The Sami are one of the, the people of the north, the white direction. Um, that's the people, the indigenous people, of the north, northern Finland, Sweden, Norway. They're the reindeer herders. They were persecuted much like other indigenous people in other parts of the world, but they kept the original knowledge. So the fact that people are going back to reconnect is part of the healing process, is part of the strength. So I'm always telling... Um, European Americans or white people, hey, yeah, study indigenous people wherever you live, study what's going on, become friends. Obviously, we're one hoop of life, but go back to where you came from. You are from that land. You're from that dirt, from that water. And some of them will say, but, you know, they left hundreds of years ago. Does not matter. You don't have to literally go back, although that's pretty wonderful. You can just go back and just hold that space and ask forgiveness for leaving. Because we have this, you know, and this whole diversity inclusion, all this, all this work that I do, people have this, um, I think it's a, a, a false myth that the European Americans that came here all came here on the Mayflower, all came here looking for adventure and stuff. And that's not true. Overwhelmingly, the people came because they were suffering. There was horrors and wars and persecution and famine. And they came and some of that pain, they continued on here and some did, but they were looking for a way to thrive, you know, to just survive and thrive like everywhere. So I think asking that forgiveness and reclaiming uh, your ancestors and who you are will only strengthen who you are today because when we don't, we think that who we are just comes out of some void, that what's happening today comes out of nothing. That's not true. It comes out mm-hmm. of a whole history. And then where we're going, has we have a lot of choice and action on that. But I think it's about being conscious, really, again, shifting that we're far more than just what we see. Mm, yes, so much so. And I, I clearly obviously relate to that because yes. I'm in that process right now of, you know, revisiting the, the that part of my ancestral DNA is what I say. Like I have ancestral DNA in the earth somewhere else in the world. And I am fortunate enough to be able to go and be in that place. And then on the other side of my family that, you know, comes from different parts of Canada, I've been to those places. And so I, I feel that we have we have DNA from so many different places, right? As the generations go on. But I also think that there is one particular area of our, for me at least, I'll just speak for myself, from my ancestral lineage that calls to me in a different way, only because I've opened it up and started communicating. Yes. Not, just, not just to the ancestors themselves, but to the lands that we come from. And I feel like a of a different vibration amongst the cells of my body without going too far out there. No, No, you're not going to go too woo-woo for me, but I also understand in terms of listeners. But I will say that in the practice that I share with people, so how I start my day, first, before going through the whole thing of gratitude, even for my everything that's working on my body and stuff and move out, I start with giving gratitude for the land that I'm on and mm-hmm. gratitude to those first peoples that were here. So in, in, in the Boulder area, that's the Ute Nation, the, the Cherokee, the Cheyenne, and the Arapaho. So those three tribes, and they're still here. The people are still here. It's just giving gratitude to that. And when I do that, there's something that opens up in me. me. Again, it's the mental mindset 
of the illusion that, oh, I'm just on my own, I'm, I'm all alone. When you know that you're connected to a larger whole, you might get lonely, and there's a lot of suffering right now of depression and loneliness. Loneliness, that is a human thing that happens. But alone, I never feel alone. I have so many, yeah. you know, beings here yeah. with me and you know, the trees and the earth and, mm. and all the human beings that are my family and my clients and everybody, you know, and you right now on just being on this um on this show and talking to each other and letting other people know that there is another way of being. It isn't about oh, this separate. is why I love talking to you, honestly. And those that are listening know that this is why I love talking to you, Anita, <laughs> because this is this is important stuff to talk about. I I started building um, into my own rituals that I do, um, thanking the ancestors of the lands that I'm living on right now, and. That has shifted so many things for me. I, I remember last year, there's a park I like to go to. Um, I'm about an hour away. I'm in the Centennial mm-hmm. area. And there's a park I like to go to that has a tree that's probably three, 400 years old. Mm. It's huge. It's massive. And I remember last year, like sitting underneath that tree because I've been called, was called to like touch it. And I was talking to the tree, which I do a lot more now normally. But even a year ago, I would maybe glance around me to see if somebody was watching me hug and talk to the tree. And I felt different when I realized how many hundreds of years of people that have sat near this tree. And even going so far back to that, before this tree was even born, who lived on this land? And I, I think about that now all the time. And so I think, of course, the same tribes because we're from yes. the same, you know, relatively the same area. And that feels, um, it feels so nourishing to myself to nourish those that have tended the land for us. Uh, see, there it is. And that's what I'm hoping happening is happening with lots of people as we're taking this pause. And now I hope it's happening as we're slowly opening up to varying degrees in different parts of the world to go back out. And I had a wonderful, wonderful mm. um, uh, person tell me that there was just a poll in the UK, and I can send you the site because it's so worth reading. And they asked people, how many of you... what? want to go back to where it was before, to the way it was before. Because we hear so much, I want to get back to normal. When is this going to be over? 97% said they don't want to go back. They don't want to go back to the way they were doing work. They don't want to go back to the way they were not relating to family. They don't want to go back to the way that they weren't with their communities, you know, really connected. 3%, only 3% said they do. Now, it may be very different here in this country, However, just that kind of is like, is this, we are living in an amazing time that the universe has Mm -hmm. given us this gift rather than maybe this whole thing, and I don't mean to diminish the suffering and the loss of lives, but maybe this wasn't done to us. What if this was actually done for us? Uh, And I look at that and I help leaders all the time look at like what these things are going, what if you thought of it, it was done for you? What would you be doing if you thought of it that way. And it shifts things. Oh, so much. I think I've been having this conversation every day for the last eight weeks because I know so many people that are in the phase of, oh my gosh, I can't wait for my kids to go back to school. And oh my gosh, I cannot wait to go back to work every day. And I'm like, do you, do you really? Like, do you really feel that way? Like, what about safety and security is making you feel that you need that? And, and then I asked the questions like, how many parents have been asking for more time with their kids? <laughs> Like, how many people have been asking for more time with their spouses or more time to garden or more time to bake bread? 
Well, guess what? We've had time to do that. And I, I mean, for me, for sure, I'm, there are so many things that I'm not going back to. There's so many things that I cut out that's not coming back, just protecting my peace, right? Yes. My peace and my connection. And, uh, and so I do try to spread that message to a lot of people. And, and, unless you don't have a job, right? Like, I mean, I can, I feel the part of needing income. It goes back to the safety and security. I think those that are feeling in that little piece, they, you know, they, they're going to have to think of it maybe differently, but I do like the idea of looking at this, like, what if this happened for us? Yes. What if it happened for us? And also getting rid of this, what's happening now, I feel like it's, it's the, the remnants of still wanting to make things right or wrong, you know, black or right, Mm -hmm. either or. And some things are like that. They're problems to solve. But what, what's being presented with this COVID is all the dilemmas that are here. So this, oh, I'm going to stay sheltered in, in solidarity with my life and the lives of the people that are around me. No, I'm the right person because I want to get back to work so that I can have money to pay for the rent, for the house, for the food, for the people I love. Now, these aren't mm-hmm. either or things. These are intimately interconnected. And right. so we have to look at dilemmas or things that we manage. And I think when we get a more holistic view of things, just being able to sort out that and for our own lives, that we're going to live much more enriched lives. And that's why I think in part you making the choices. I'm not going back to that. I, I, I echo you. There are some things, no, I'm not going back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, major things that I've changed in my life in just the last eight weeks that no, I'm not going to go back. That's, that wasn't Mm -hmm. life giving. Yeah. Yeah. I like the idea of this, this great pause bringing us so many blessings. In fact, I, um, a group of sisters that I, I practice with, we are calling it, um, pandemic blessings that there are so many pandemic blessings and we're keeping running lists of the pandemic blessings that we have. And there are so many of them that have happened that I, I am, I get emotional at the idea that there are so many things in in all of our lives that have improved because of this. And yet at the same time, I honor that there's been loss. So yes. I, I feel like you, right? That yeah. we can't discount that. I know a lot of people have experienced loss. And I also know a lot of people that have been caring for those that are sick have experienced a lot. So I, I hold equal parts of compassion for that. And at the same time can understand that there are definitely some very significant positives. Yes. And um, my wish is for people that are listening to this to think of that as well. Like think of what are the blessings in your life that you've had in this time and what has shifted? Like, I also think it's important to write it down when you recognize that something has shifted or an activity that was forced to stop, but you realize wasn't that great to begin with a, you know, a section or a part of your life and you filled yourself up in a different way. Oh, that's okay to keep that. That doesn't have to change. Absolutely. I, I'm just with you. I think it's a great thing. And the other piece that I want, again, I keep looking at, what am I separating? What can I bring together? So I think yeah. about all those people who have died. And those are huge numbers who aren't just individuals. These are families and fathers and mothers mm-hmm. and daughters and children. I mean, it's all of it. What an incredible legacy for, to them, to their lives, that we actually make meaning from their loss with huge loss of what happened to mm. them. So even that, I'm trying not to separate, but I also want to speak of it because it, it is a hard thing. And I think that's what you're doing too. Yeah. But I, I'm thinking if I were yeah. to go, thank you, I'm not, at least hopefully not, I still would love to think that I left this world that other people were paying attention in a different way. Some big shift, like other big things that have happened, pandemics where sanitation dramatically changed, other things. I think this Mm -hmm. is about, 
I think it's about connection. It's about sanitation, but it's also about, it's mainly about our interconnection. Something happening halfway around the world does impact you and we're experiencing it now. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. I'm glad we talked about it. And now a short message from our sponsors. Julie Halunga is one of 30 Emergenetics master trainers in the world. The Emergenetics assessment is a powerful tool which not only simplifies human connection, but also allows individuals and teams to be more productive, innovative, and engaged. During our new abnormal times, it cultivates connection with remote and dispersed teams by providing practical ways for employees to learn to work together and support strong workplace culture with or without traditional office space. And not only is Julie a master trainer, but she is a leader in her communities and is truly a game changer. Now let's get back to the show. And so there was, there's a blessing of the pandemic that we didn't have this interview many weeks ago, like we were supposed to, and we would not have been able to talk about how, like, truly we're living this interconnectedness, which is part of what you're, and I want to talk about your book now, but that's part of your book that really, oh, it, it pulled at me. It, it challenged me actually. And, um, we're going to get to talking about what challenged me because I want to share with you and with you know my listeners the part that I think challenged me personally to my edge of where I need, still needed to grow. Um, but I, let's start with like this path of wisdom that you've been on, like gaining this wisdom to write this book and the experiences you went through. Um, can you share a little bit about that? I mean, people, if you want to hear the whole story, go read the book and we'll put the <laughs> yes. link in the comments. And also I do want to mention it now and I'll mention it again at the end that I am going to, for the first, I'm going to say 10, but however many, anybody that would like a signed copy of the four sacred gifts from Anita, I am going to purchase them and get them to Anita and have them signed for you. So email me at toverly at gmail.com or any of the places you listen to me and I'm going to get a signed copy for you because I know that it'll change people's lives. <sighs> but let's start like, what was that path of wisdom seeking that you went on that led to this book's creation? Yes. Well, what happened is, um, I'm not going to go way, way back, but um, as we get more into the stories, it'll come out. In, in 1990, um, well, for 10 years, in 1995 is when I learned about the Eagle Hoop prophecy. And um, and for 10 years at that point, I had been volunteering my time with Indigenous youth, teaching them a lot of things that I taught in corporation. But the other part that I added to it, though, is how do you keep your culture? How do you keep mm -hmm. strong your own dignity, divinity, in the face of some things that will seem antithetical to that? And this one year, I was going to it in 1995, uh, to teach, and I was like a chicken with her head cut off. At that point, I'd already been out working for almost 20 years, and I wasn't seeing change happening. I'm like, what is going on? The women aren't moving up fast enough in these corporations. And, and, the, and the gay folks, and the, and the men, for that matter, the white men who just didn't fit the mold of the 42 long size, that's what I call. And so I was thinking, like, I'm just not supposed to do this. And I land in this place, and it happened to be that this eagle hoop was there because the prophecy began unfolding, which was that there was this vision from a Mohican elder. Uh, and in this vision, spirit said, gather elders from all over the world and create this hoop and hang a hundred eagle feathers on it and then put these gifts in there 
for all humanity, not just for indigenous people. This is not for your tribe. Mm. This is for all humanity because they have forgotten and they're causing great suffering. They have forgotten what it means to be in harmony and balance with themselves, with other human beings, with nature, with the earth. And so do this. So he did this call out and lo and behold, 27 elders came together from all over the world. They prayed, they danced, they sang, they chanted. And at the end, they put the four gifts in there for all human beings. And the four gifts are to help us to restore harmony and balance in our lives, in our relationships with other human beings, and with the earth and spirit itself. And the four gifts are the power to forgive the unforgivable. That's the first gift, the power to forgive the unforgivable. The second gift they put in there is the power of unity. The third gift is the power of healing. And the fourth gift is the power of hope in action. And they said, use these four gifts. And when I heard that there in this room where I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do something else. I have a PhD. I can do something else. I don't have to do diversity and inclusion anymore. It's too hard. Some, it went right through me. And I began weaving that wisdom into all the work that I have been doing and continue to do this day. And everywhere I've gone that these wonderful businesses have taken me to all different parts of the world, whenever I share this, people like repeat that and they write them down, even when it's being translated, yeah. because they know, we know when something is true, that something not, it's not a fake or put on or buy this or whatever. We all have these gifts. And when we begin to use those, it's hard to not remember that we're part of this amazing, abundant we have more than enough to be sufficient in this incredible earth, this world. And when we fall short, we don't go spiraling downward when we use these gifts. Because I do. I'm a human being, so I fall off. But when I do that, I'll tell you, I don't stay off for very long. I come back and start, what gift is calling me? I begin using it, and everything comes back into understanding in a flow where I'm a life-giving source to myself and others, rather than a greedy, sad, blah, 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 blah. and mm -hmm. I have compassion for that, but I don't want to live there. That's not why I'm here. Yeah, I took I took the four sacred gifts, and actually, I drew a hoop, mm -hmm. um, like a, a circle, uh, in my journal the first time I read it. And I love, I love it so much. I love the idea of a hundred feathers as well, because I feel like that is also accounting for all of the different parts of the peoples that come from all the places and all the living things. So I love the visual that that gave me. And then putting those sacred gifts inside of there, I never felt like it wasn't for me since, you know, I wasn't a part of the tribe that created it or the tribes that created it. I, this was for, this is for everybody. And, you know, I will tell you, I read, I'm going to just share my yes, experience. So I read through it all. I, I skipped through the first part, the first mm -hmm. gift pretty quickly because the power to forgive the unforgivable, um, it hit a really raw spot in me. And so I, I read past it pretty fast and then I read through the others and I really love, love, love um, the section around hope because there's so much in there that is important to say that it's, it's. We, it's the one thing that we can never lose is hope because without hope, we are truly lost. Like that's the one thing that can always still keep us moving forward. And so I really connected to that. And then a couple of weeks ago, I, I picked it up again um, after having some, I will just call it trauma, mm -hmm. you know, some trauma 
be re-triggered. And I thought, you know, I am, I'm definitely very connected. I, I work really hard on forgiveness and healing my wounds. And although my wounds might seem insignificant to others in the world, because we all have different levels of wounds, I understand that it holds me back in some ways. And so I revisited that chapter and um, had to really dig deep. And I think that this is all of our work, especially now because there's so much anger at how governments are handling things and at our neighbors and at other countries and other people. And really sinking into a place of learning how to forgive the unforgivable to me was, um, <laughs> it was, it was work. It's still work. I think it will always be work for me to do that. Yeah. Well, good for you for doing that. Cause I will say you are, uh, that's where you match up with most people. When I was out doing uh, keynotes, whether it was to a group of just, you know, 12 executives or whether it was to a, a group of 6,400 in, in a conference, the gift that people, when they when I ask them, just what hit you first? What what really went there? Overwhelmingly, it's the the gift of the power to forgive the unforgivable. Mm-hmm. However, what they want to actually attend to is not that. It's generally hope or unity, and that's mm-hmm. not a problem. So, whatever gift speaks to you, go ahead and go there because what you will find very quickly, although these sounds separate, they're intimately interconnected. So I can have the most amazing intention. I can be the most conscious person, business leader, leader of my own life. And I will be having these intentions on unity and hope. And there will be barriers. And the barriers will exist to the degree, not just outside of me, but inside the degree to which I use the gift of healing, healing the wounds in me, and the big gift of forgiving them forgivable. Because if you think of us as just energy, as science will talk you, energy, we only have so much energy. And if I'm using some of my energy to hold on to the hurts, mistreatments of resentments, and I'm talking about little hurts and huge ones that, you know, atrocities to whole groups of people. If, if my energy is on that, then it's, I don't have the energy to use for what I want to create right now or to create for the future. So when I can release that, that's coming out of self-love. That ultimately what happens, it may come for some other different, but really it's with, I love myself. And so when I, uh, growing up, I was abused. Um, I had a wonderful life on one hand, but I also had a big secret. For nine years, I was sexually abused, and I kept that a secret. And, and then the other big thing is at 13, my father was murdered, and it was race-related. Um, he was mistaken for a black man, where a black man and a white man in the 60s were having a fight. And the, the white man returned and just saw the profile of my dark-skinned father and killed him on the spot. So I've had to use these gifts. And that forgiveness one was a really hard one. Um, and the problem with holding on to hurts and mistreatments, and why I'm so glad that you're, you're just going through it, uh, because what I found is that I would put up as much a good intention I had, I would put up this wall, and I called it my, my wall of protection. But this wall of protection did keep out bad things from happening to me, but it doesn't know how to differentiate, and it kept out good things happening too. And because of not healing that, back in the 70s when I started doing diversity inclusion work, I realized very early, like, wait a minute, do I really believe I can do this? Do you really believe we can all care about each other? And when I looked at that, I realized there was even more forgiving to do about the murder of my father and that this was a white man who murdered my father, not the white race. 
and that his son did not necessarily have to go on his path. I was meeting mm. the sons of many people and the daughters, white daughters of many people, who said their parents did teach them that they were better than other people, other races. But they didn't believe that. They love their parents, but they don't believe that. And they're doing things to change it, to try and change and create a place where everybody gets to bring their gifts. But when that realization came to me, that I realized that I was taking away the humanity of actually that young boy who was the murder of my, uh, murder of my father's son, that I was doing exactly what I didn't want to happen, somebody dehumanizing, taking away one's humanity. And so when I could love myself to, enough to let that go, whoa, the kind of energy and the clarity and the way that I was able to share gifts, share my gifts, and listen and be present with compassion, um, you know, and sometimes tough love there for people, the work changed. And people were like dramatic, like, something else has happened. You were pretty amazing before, but something else has happened. And I yeah. love hearing that. And I, so I think with you, you, you have such a following and you have such a voice and you see it in other people that you're going to be able to mirror, mirror even more of a whole human being who is here to create harmony and balance and fulfill your purpose. What? I mean, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. That, it's, it is a powerful process. And I, I think that sometimes a lot of the women I speak to sometimes feel like they cannot provide that forgiveness because that boundary then will be crossed again. And one of the things you talk really clear about is that forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. No. Forgiveness does not mean that barrier, that boundary will be crossed again. No. And and I think that that's really important for everybody to remember. And your for, forgiving something or an atrocity or someone does not require their participation. No. And and that that right there to me can change so many people's lives. Totally. Totally changes it. Thank you so much. Because I think that's the other thing is what you just said is what forgiveness is not. When I realized that as well, it made it so much better because forgiveness doesn't mean that you don't go out and change the systems and structures that allow for that hurt to happen in the first place. Mm-hmm. Now, that's part of the work mm-hmm. I'm doing. So it doesn't mean I'm stopped doing that, but it's doing out of what I want to create in the world, the care, the love, the prosperity, the interconnectedness that I want to uh, create, create. I'm being able to use my energy for that rather than resentment, hurt, and all that stuff. It's so, it's so freeing. So, a real cool little, uh, not little at all, but a cool new thing I got this summer was, I'm, I'm kind of known as the forgiving the unforgivable, the forgiveness lady in a lot of places now. And uh, I love yeah, that. I, I, I might title this episode <laughs> "The Forgiveness Lady." Yeah, so it's, it was really, it's really cool. But I was at a. a spiritual gathering this summer, a Sundance, and an elder there, Basil Braveheart, came over and he was introduced and he said, oh yeah, yeah I heard you were the forgiveness lady. Well, he's known for forgiveness as well. And he said, I know you said it's the pathway to your freedom. It's a pathway to unconditional love. I want you to add something to that. And I was just like all, all ears, all heart open. And he said, Anita, forgiveness is also the pathway, is the passcode to your own divinity. And I was like, oh, that made my hair stand up. I said, yes, you're right. And he said, so it's only going to get bigger and better in terms of how you can be a loving, giving, creating, being a life-giving mirror to yourself and to other people. That's just going to be 
And so isn't that, doesn't that make you more eager oh, to go, yes, yes, I want to forgive. Yes, you are worthy of it. You're, you're worthy of, yes. for, of forgiving so that you can go on and then use your energy for what you want to create, including changing the systems and structures that allowed for that to happen to begin with. Yeah, it's like justice. You're yeah, not giving up no, on justice no, just because you're forgiving. No, no totally. There, it's and, and they can be simultaneous. Yes. Yes. That's the beauty. That's it too. That's, yes. But what, that's the beauty. what um, a colleague of mine says, you know, pain and suffering pushes until you have a vision and it pulls you. It's a lot less energy. Oh. So allowing that vision, is, vision of a, a workplace, a home, a community where people not only embrace our similarities, but embrace the differences as well. And then we know all sorts of amazing things happen, the kinds of innovations, like our response to what is happening here now. I'm excited about what we're going to create. Yes, I know there's going to be more suffering along the way, so I'm not Pollyannish about it. However, I'm going to put my energy on what the collaboration, the more innovation, the reworking work structures, the looking at, you know, uh, just everything being more interconnected and respecting with dignity, and that prosperity will happen with that. And that what we've really been doing, the, the old normal was creating a lot of suffering. So now we get to be really selective about mm-hmm. what we want to continue and what new things we want to create. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. I have to repeat that part, that first part of that that you just said, because but I think that my mind just went kapow a little <laughs> bit. Um, you said that pain and suffering pushes us, but the vision pulls, pulls us. us. Oh my goodness. Woman, you are amazing. Well, I think we all we know it's amazing because you you know you're amazing because you can the reason that rings true and so all your listeners are like when that rings true is you can all think about a time when you had a vision a dream of something and you and there could be all sorts of hardships to get there it was not easy for me to get a PhD coming from a poor family to leave my everybody I knew and come and leave I mean it was really hard. However, I had this vision. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm going to be that person who's connecting hearts all over the world. So I think this is the step, and this is the next step, and this is the next step. But that vision just keeps pulling. And to this day, it yeah. keeps pulling. And it's a whole different thing <laughs> when you're being pulled rather than yeah. pushing that rock up the hill, right. right? Right. I think I see that a lot, not just in the work I do with this podcast, but in, in bringing women together. Like I am definitely pulled all the time to teach women in a different way than you do, but in the power of their voice, yes. in the power of using their voice, not not just externally, but internally. Mm-hmm. And in all ways, like there is so much power that we hold in our like womb wisdom and men too, but I'm, I'm, I am definitely called to work with women and like holding space for them to like test their legs in that area. And I, I love it so much and it's not a push, it's definitely a pull. So that's why when you said that, I'm like, yes, Yes. (laughs) keep doing that too, because I am part of, um, you know, ceremonies and different traditions. Last year I was in Scotland in ceremony. I was in Kyrgyzstan. I've been in Hawaii, in Mexico, in the Amazon. And one of the themes, and many more, but one of the themes in the ceremonies that has come through for now a handful of years, it was, it was about leading from your heart. It doesn't mean you mm-hmm. get rid of your mind. We need your brain. You die. You don't need your brain. But the brain was meant to follow the heart. And the other one was clear is that it's time for women to rise up. Now, that doesn't mean let's become matriarchies and power over men. That's not what we're talking about. It's about owning our own. I think this is the work you do. Owning your own power, honoring your own dignity and respect. So you give voice to it. You give 
You give quiet to it too, but it's about us stepping up and owning our leadership. You know, there used to be in the days when I did diversity inclusion, I'd step in a room and go, okay, how many of you are leaders? And I was really, really saddened because very few women would raise their hands. The men would raise their hands. Even, They'd be newbies. And even if they were. Yeah. Right, even if they were leaders. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. No, we didn't talk about perfect here. I said leaders. We're all going to be keep working to make it better and better. There's no such thing as perfection. But so that changing and you helping supporting women to have those voices, that's really critical. And all these ceremonies, it's saying to do it. And I'm seeing, look at the big changes that are happening. The young so women true. marching, Fridays for the Future, yeah. women rising up in organizations. Some of the most profitable organizations have women at the top. Just great things are happening. So, so true. I You were the first person that I told that I wanted to start a women's circle. Um, like a talking circle. And it, actually, it's about listening, mm-hmm. right? It's about listening um, to others and holding space for them, because I think that gives us power in our own voice is when we hold space for others and we truly just listen. And um, you were the first person I talked to about that. And then, and then of course, we had a pan- we have a pandemic, so I haven't done that yet, but it is going to happen. And I definitely feel this strong interest in continuing this conversation with you because you have so much experience in ensuring that all, I want to just say that all that are in that space are heard. And I, you know, I thank you for your wisdom along that path. Yeah. So let me plant this for you because I'm already doing um, talking circles is what we call them virtually. So you, you mm. decide you want to do it. You, you can do it. It works on these Zooms to have talking circles. So if okay. it gets really large, you break it down into some smaller groups. But otherwise, it's all the principles and teaching that and, and doing those. And I think, you know, for working with women, for like an employee resource groups of that, that's, I'm hoping that more of that will happen because yeah. people are needing the connection. We're all finding ways to connect and using technology and big time to do that. Um, and it's very important because at this time, and it's the listening is what you talked about. It's mm-hmm. really just holding the space for person mm-hmm. to say and whatever is coming up for them and just holding it, not a telling, but just holding that because it's honoring the wisdom inside and, oh, I'm seeing major things happening. Yeah, and it's it's leaders like you that set the stage for other people to do that, which is why I was so excited to have this conversation. <laughs> I wanted my whole network of people to hear you and and see that there is the possibility for change. There is possibility for this interconnectedness. It is um, sometimes hard to see it if we don't see it. Um, and I think that there is a way to explain it, to teach it, and to feel it that others start to learn from. So I, I deeply honor the work you're doing, Anita. It is mm. truly incredible. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. And when you what you just said triggered for me is there is ways to teach it and everything. And one of the first things all of us can do right away is to dream. Dream and dream and dream. And people go, what do you mean just dream? That sounds really woo-woo now. No, because mm-hmm. if we allow ourselves to daydream, to dream at night, and that what you're allowing to come forward is the possibilities. Because so much out there keeps telling us, oh, that's not going to work, that's not going to work. You know, and, and the media, parts of the media is just like, all, you know, most of the innovations, the inventions, the, all the different things uh, that have brought life People imagined them first. They dreamt about mm. them. And then they put the, the hands and the hard science and all the other things and the manufacturing and the supply chain together. It was from the vision, from the dream. And so we need to awaken that in everyone and, and not give in to hopelessness uh, to use all the gifts, really. But dreaming is an important one. 
Oh, I love that. Yes. And now is a time to do that because things have shooken up. We have, we can actually think, oh, things don't have to be the same as they were because they're not. Exactly. <laughs> they're not. So, <laughs> so how about, you know, dreaming and imagining what you want to see and feel and how you want to live. Yeah. Right? Yes, like absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, and I want to, uh, cause I know you deal with a lot of business leaders as well both in the private sector and the nonprofit sector. So there's some really tough things going on in terms of like, you know, how, mm-hmm. how, how are we going to keep them employed and how are we servicing our customers and all these really hard things. But I will tell you that one of the gifts that these folks need to have is, yes, you're going to put your teams together and figure out, you need to give yourself some alone time and just imagine. Give yourself mm-hmm. the compassion and grace, some space, and then just imagine Imagine, imagine. And what's happening when people do that, what I'm finding is they're also discovering the places they need to get healed. So the leaders who love their companies, but they have some resentment. Uh, I'm on my second or third marriage, excuse me. Uh, I don't blame the company totally, but I was gone a lot. Uh, I've missed my kids' birthdays now being here. I've actually been present Mm -hmm. for some birthdays. So they begin to imagine, well, what if, what if? I could actually be uh, an effective leader, inspiring others, and also inspiring them by having a fulfilling life. You know, uh, so I just think all these positives, it requires mm-hmm. us to imagine, dream, to vision. Uh, and, and that is just an important thing as being a human being. And it's definitely what we need to have happen so that um, we can continue to make some positive choices with the change that we are experiencing now and how do we want it to be? Mm. Like my hand is just on my heart and I'm like, (laughs) yes. Oh, I love that. Okay. So if businesses or if anybody's listening to the show that is a company or owns a company or works for a company or knows that some of this work can be brought into the work that they're doing on a business level, how can they reach you to find out how you can come in and do that work with them? Yes, there's two ways to do that. One, you go, this is not an easy one. Sanchez, S-A-N-C-H-E-Z. Tennis, just like the game. That's my partner life and in, in the firm.com. SanchezTennis.com. There you will be able to find all the different kinds of work we do. If you're interested in a lot in going deeper into the book, then you can go to foursacredgifts.com. F-O-U-R, foursacredgifts.com. And there you'll be able to learn more about these gifts. You can download a free song that was made mm-hmm. for the book with the messages. And there you can also click on, it'll lead you to my other website for my um, corporate training and speaking and all those engagements as well. But it, um, please do go and get the song because I love in these pause time, mm-hmm. go to foursacredgifts.com and you'll hear, you can download this song called In Right Relations. And I'm getting messages from people in South Africa, in uh, Costa Rica, uh, of course, all over the US, but different places. And they say, oh, I was just saying, we heard your song and I'm like what and they, they goes, yeah they, that's yeah amazing. I love it I love it it's, it's got very inspiring messages in there honoring who each and every one of you are and I will put all of those links in the show notes so for anybody that um, missed us don't worry we're putting it in the show notes and don't forget if anybody wants to message me and would like a signed copy I'm going to gift you a signed copy from Anita so I'll put those in the show notes and Anita thank you again for joining me and I send you so much love and um, you know just a deep bow like just deep bow and I bow to you too thank you for who you are and what you're doing thank you 
if you are ready to level up your company's innovation, communication, and productivity, don't forget to visit juliehalunga.com to find out how she can help you and your team grow more effectively. We hope you enjoyed the show. Hi, my name is Les Conley. And as producer of this show, I enjoy listening right along with you. Don't forget to download the Himalaya app and follow Grit and Grace so that we can keep you up to date on all the exciting shows coming your way. Please check the show notes for links to our guests and feel free to contact us for more information. Taver Lee is a social impact entrepreneur and she can be found at taverlee.com. That's T-A-H-V-E-R-L-E-E.com. We know your time is extremely valuable and we appreciate you spending it with us. Thank you.